Good morning. Oh. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good, good, good. Hey, what am I, uh, I don't know if it's one of my favorite things to do, but it's going to become kind of a, a fun thing to do. If, you, if you're on Facebook, um, Facebook kind of gives you kind of your memories for different years. So continually, every memory from one year ago now is under the quarantine. So it's kind of fun to look back and see the memories from Facebook that says one year because it's all under quarantine and all these things that I was doing or really not doing uh, during quarantine. So that's just kind of a a fun little thing uh, for us to say today. So anyways, good morning, as I said, and we are here continuing our journey through the book of Acts. I know it's hard to believe, but after today, we have five chapters remaining in the book of Acts. Then we have no clue what we're going to do. I'm just kidding. We, we have ideas. Don't worry about that. You'll find more about that uh, pretty soon. But I thought now, since we're kind of with five chapters left, it would kind of be, could be a good time to review uh, for the final exam. Do you guys know there was going to be a final exam at the end? Well, there is going to be an exam, and if you want to, you can be taking your notes in the sermon books that we've provided, and you can go through and have all your notes, and it will be an open note exam uh, upon the conclusion of the series. Uh, Don't worry, if you're getting all sweaty, there is no test. Uh, I know some of you just really panic the idea of a test coming up, but I do want to review because we've covered a lot of things through the book of Acts. And also, one big thing to remember in the book of Acts is there's like a time jump. I mean, it covers a lot of time as you're going from all these chapters and seeing how what we call the the birth of the church and all that's happened. So before we get into this, I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the time you've given us to come and worship together in your name, to, to reflect on your goodness and all that you've done for us, Lord. We're thankful for the ways in which you protect us and the ways which you provide for us, Lord. We're thankful for this time that we've been able to spend in the book of Acts as a church, to see how you've moved through the apostles in the growth of the church and the lessons that we can learn through this book. Be with us now as we review and jump into Acts chapter 23. Help us to understand what your word says to us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's a quick kind of overview timeline of what we've seen so far. Now, I'm going to put kind of dates. There'll be dates on the screen. Uh, Just know that sometimes, you know, when you're looking through various commentaries, dates can kind of go up and down a year or two. So don't hold me to the dates. Uh, Depending on what commentary you read or even the Bible that you're reading, they might be a little bit off by a few years. It's okay. It doesn't change what happened. All right? Like, if I was born in, like, 1981, it doesn't change the fact that I'm going to be 40. I'm just kidding. No, that's actually truth. All right, I'm not kidding. Thanks, Joanna, for pointing that out. Um, Anyways, here we go. Acts, and we're going to jump in. Remember, Acts kind of starts as the kind of sequel to Luke's gospel, right? He he wrote his gospel, covered the things uh, of Jesus, the things that he taught, and now he writes this second book, the book of Acts, kind of continuing on from after Jesus' ministry. So here we have kind of early on in the book of Acts. We have Jesus ascending into heaven. We have the coming of the Holy Spirit. We have the the early ministry of the apostles. 
Remember, they're, Peter and John are kind of the main two. Peter gives this great sermon at, at Pentecost, and thousands are saved. We see them performing healings in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Then we see Peter and John arrested. We see them thrown in prison for the things that are happening, and they're told not to preach in the name of Jesus. Later on, we see Ananias and Sapphira, many struck down. Anybody give their offering yet? Uh, little joke, little joke. Don't, don't hurt the messenger. All right. Stephen we see killed in Acts chapter 8. Then we see the church scattered. And then we see Philip spreading the gospel. And then about a year or so, give or take some time, we see Saul's conversion. And this is one of the huge events in the book of Acts. This is where things really get going in Acts chapter 8. Then in Acts chapter 10, Peter gets his vision, right? Telling him it's okay to eat bacon. Thank goodness, right? We all love Acts chapter 10. All these things happening. Then James is killed. Then Peter gets arrested again. Remember, miraculously freed from prison. Then a little later on, as it's, remember, we're in the kind of early 30s. Now we jump kind of to the mid-40s in the book of Acts, and we see Paul's first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14. It is soon after this that he will write the book of Galatians. And then we see in Acts chapter 15 the, the Jerusalem council that we talked about so long ago. Then after this, we see Paul take a, a second missionary journey covering kind of Acts chapter 15 through Acts 18, 22. And this is where you get to see a lot of the cities and the names of people that you become familiar with. You see Timothy and Luke join Paul. We see him visit the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and Corinth, all these great cities that we see letters written to later on. We see during this time also that Paul writes First and Second Thessalonians. And then later on in the book of Acts, you see chapter 18, the kind of the end of it, into the beginning of 21, we see Paul's third missionary journey. And during this journey, he's going to write 1 Corinthians. He's going to write 2 Corinthians. And actually, he writes other letters to them as well because that church was just really messed up. So you can read all about them uh, in those letters. Then later on in the mid-50s, Paul is going to write to the Romans. And then that brings us to where we are today in Acts chapter 23. So depending again on the, the timeline that you look at or the commentaries you read, we're about 25 years after the events of Acts 21. So that kind of as you're reading through it and, and seeing how the birth of the church happens, all these events that take place, this is where we find ourselves now in Acts chapter 23. And if you remember, uh, from the last couple of messages, Paul has had this determination. He's determined to go to Jerusalem. He, he's hoping to arrive, in fact, by the festival of Pentecost. And, and that's where John, Jonathan, about a couple weeks ago, was sharing. Remember, he was, Paul was told, look, you go there, you're going to get bound. You're going to be uh, arrested. And Paul is determined still. He's not, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Then last week, when Bill was preaching, he kind of introduced us to the, the Paul being arrested. Remember, it's not really arrested almost. He's almost kind of being saved from the Jewish mob that is just wanting to kill him. And the Romans come in and kind of put him in prison until they can kind of figure out what is happening and what's going on with this guy, Paul. 
And that's now where we find ourselves in Acts 23. The Romans trying to figure out what the heck is happening and why is this guy so unliked here. So, as you remember, he's going city to city before this, right? He's always finding opposition. And now he would come to Jerusalem and there's the festival of Pentecost and people from all over those cities have gathered in Jerusalem. So now it's like the, the mass crowd of hatred for Paul. As we know, he is arrested. And as we saw last week, he was about to be even beaten, flogged in a similar way of Jesus. But he cries out for his Roman citizenship and is saved from that beating. So as we jump into the text now, I'm actually going to start at the end of chapter 22 because it kind of brings us the full context. It's kind of a weird chapter break. Remember, the chapter breaks aren't inspired. They were just put in place so that we can have fun with sword drills. Uh, So... If you grew up in a church, you remember sword drills, right? Call out the verse, get candy, all the fun stuff. So here it is, Acts 22, verse 30. It says, But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him, this is the, the Roman leaders here, and the commander and the chief priest to the council to meet. And he brought Paul down to set before them. So he's trying to figure out, okay, what's going on here? Well, why do you guys not like this guy Let me bring him before you. So he kind of calls a meeting for the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, to come, the chief priest, to talk and discuss with Paul. So here we are picking up in verse 1 of chapter 23. It says, And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. I kind of like how it opens up there. And talks about Paul looking intently at them. I can kind of picture Paul maybe waiting for this moment. This moment to stand before what he, people he considered brothers, right? Paul being a Pharisee, a leader in the Jewish council. And now here he is before many of what he calls brothers to this day. Standing before them and looking intently. He he is ready to to give defense, to explain the the hope and the comfort and the peace that he has. Paul explains here that his conscience is clear. And what he's saying is that he's not saying he's sinless. Because clearly Paul writes about his sins throughout the New Testament. But what I think he's saying here is that his conscience is clear and that he's handled things the way God wants him to be led. The way God has been leading him, he has lived in God's calling for his life. But as we go on to verse 2, the high priest certainly doesn't think very highly of Paul. And in verse 2, it goes on to say, it says, And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Ouch. Anybody like being struck in the mouth? All right, that's what I figured. So here he is. Something is said. He doesn't like it, and he has Paul hit. Now, a little background on this guy, Ananias. He is the high priest at this time, and he was not a very well-liked person. I can't imagine why. Apparently, he, he had a history of cruelty. And in fact, at one point in his life, he is even called to Rome to uh, speak with the emperor about his cruelty. That can't be a good thing. 
And then eventually when war breaks out between Rome and the Jews in, in 66 A.D., he is hunted down by the Jews and murdered. This guy was unliked. And while he is speaking, he has Paul hit. And I really like verse 3. Because verse 3, I'm going to read it in a second, but I think it kind of puts us, Paul, in our own shoes. I mean, how would you react if someone just strikes you in the face? And here's what Paul says. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you. Is that how you respond when someone hits you? God's going to get you. He says, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Remember, we, I talked about this a few weeks ago as talk about the Pharisees and how Jesus calls them the hypocrites, the, the whitewashed tomb. And here's Paul giving the same message. You hypocrites, how dare you hit me? You judge me according to the law, but the law actually says you're not even supposed to hit me. See, they had a similar law to us where you're innocent until proven guilty. There was no reason to strike Paul. There was even no reason because he hadn't even been charged yet with anything. So he says, how dare you hit me? Then he goes on and he actually finds out that he was hitting the high priest. Not hitting the high priest, but he's talking back to the high priest. And in verse 4, those people who are with him wonder, why would you say such revile things to a high priest? And it's kind of interesting where it goes from there because Paul basically apologizes. If you look at verse 5, it says, And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of your ruler of your people. Here he's quoting from the, the book of Exodus and where it says, Show reverence for the high priest. And even though the high priest had him hit, Paul says, Look, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize he was the high priest. Now remember, 25 years have kind of passed since Paul had been in Jerusalem, so it's likely that maybe he didn't know who the high priest was. This is kind of a, also an informal meeting, so maybe the high priest wasn't wearing all of his robes and his garbs and all those things to be recognized as the high priest. So here Paul is saying, look, I, I'm sorry, I, I apologize. And I think we can almost sometimes learn something from that, can't we? How often do we apologize when we're clearly in the wrong? That's not one of my main points, but as I was reading through it, I thought it was a good point to bring up. How many times when, when even though we've been wronged or we're in the wrong, do we step forward like Paul and say, look, I'm sorry? So he goes on. He has this most human reaction. He, he's upset and he apologizes. The life we are called is different. And we're going to see now in, in verse chapter, in verse 6 of chapter 23, how Paul now begins to turn this argument of what he is about to say. And it's kind of interesting. You ever get in trouble maybe with your parents when you were a kid? And you just know like you're in deep trouble. Now, I've never done this in my own life, but maybe sometimes you have a little secret you've been holding on to for one of your brother's. So in this moment when you're getting in trouble, you can say, oh, wait, but so-and-so did 
this. You know, trying to get the attention maybe off of yourself and maybe you can kind of sneak out of the room and be like, ha ha, leave that to yourselves. Well, in a way, we're about to see, not quite similar, but this is what Paul is about to do in this kind of uh, informal meeting here. Pick it up in, in verse 6. It says, Now when Paul perceived that one part of this group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes and the Pharisees and the party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel had spoke to him? So what he's saying is, look, if I am on charge for the, for the hope that I have in the resurrection, now he's caused a division. Because the Pharisees believe in this resurrection. The Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. And now they are fighting with each other over who is right. I can kind of, Paul just see, kind of take a step back almost maybe and be like, here you go. You guys start fighting. All, all these things, taking this attention on them. So he's, he's playing his cards right in this mixed group and turning them against each other. And he gets to the point where the Pharisees, they even say, look, I find nothing wrong with this guy. This guy is speaking true. And maybe they're remembering back to the words in Acts chapter 5 of the leader Gamaliel as he talked about, look, if this is from God, then we can't stop this. This thing is going to continue. And we see in verse 10 that this becomes violent. This becomes a dangerous situation for Paul, so much that the Roman leaders actually take Paul away and bring him back to the barracks because they are afraid for his life as these two Sadducees and Pharisees just fight over this resurrection. Then in verse 11, we get this great verse. It says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And this is a point that I want to come back in a little bit to as we think more deeper about this. But what an amazing encouragement this must have been to Paul. Here he is in the city he loves, the city of Jerusalem. You read through Romans and you hear this, the, the heart that he has for his people, the Israelites. And he comes back, and, and things have gotten crazy. He finds himself in jail. And here he gets these great words from Christ himself of take courage. So I'm not going to continue to read the rest of the, the chapter, but in, chapter, in verses 12 through 29, I'll, I'll kind of summarize what goes on. Uh, basically, because they failed the first time, they now kind of make a pact, the Jewish leaders, about 40 of them, to not eat or drink until they have Paul killed. Their plan is to have another meeting and then to ambush him on the way to this meeting in the narrow streets of Jerusalem and just wipe him out. Now we find out that Paul's nephew somehow gets word of this plan and he, what's he do? I better go tell Paul, right? I mean, if any of you find out that I'm about to be ambushed, I hope you come 
and tell me. Agree? I didn't hear enough agrees, but all right. So he hears this, and he goes and shares this plan with them. And then Paul says, look, go tell the Romans. Let the Romans know what they are planning. So the Romans get this, and they know this is real. They've seen the, the fights in the temple. They've seen the fights now yesterday in the meeting. And, and now Paul is transferred to the city of Caesarea by 470 soldiers. Does that seem excessive? I, I don't know. But he is transferred with this many soldiers to the city of Caesarea. And he's going to meet the governor there, Felix, because this is kind of the Roman capital for the area. And this kind of comes the jumping point for the rest of the book of Acts. So that's kind of what happens in the end of this chapter. But I'm going to focus on a lot of the things that we have already spoken about. And here we are as we're thinking about what do we learn from it? What do we look at this chapter and see through Paul's experiences what we learn as believers today? Well, I think as we look at this, we think about peace is something that came to my mind and how we find peace in our lives. And, and I think through this passage, we find two areas of peace, of hope, of comfort that we look to as believers. And for the first one, I want us to take a look back at verse 6. And it says here that when Paul cried out to the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. Remember, this is where he calls that argument. He says, it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead, that I am on trial. So I think as we look for peace in this world, one thing we look, if we look to Paul, we find peace in the hope of a resurrection. You know, we just came through the Easter season, where we reflect on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And everything for Paul rested upon this truth. And everything we believe in rests in this truth of resurrection. It's what gets us through the mourning and the loss of death. It's reflecting on the resurrection that we, our lives don't end in death. That we live on to eternal life. Matthew 12, 21 talks about that in the name of Jesus, the Gentiles find their hope. You know, death is never an easy thing to face in this world. It's difficult for those who are left behind. But as Paul is writing his letter to the Thessalonians, his first letter in chapter 4, he discusses this hope. He discusses the encouragement that we find in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I, it's a great passage, and I want to take time and read the whole thing for us. He says this, he says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. But we believe that Jesus died and rose again. We believe that God will bring Jesus with those who have fallen asleep with him. And according to God's word, we tell you who we are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with a loud command, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet and the call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. 
and verse 18 is a beautiful, quick little verse, and it says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What a foundational truth it is for us. The hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of the dead coming alive, of living forever with Christ in heaven. This is what Paul says in Romans 10 is the foundational for our beliefs. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that we need to be reminded about every day of our lives. It is the one that brings that hope and peace into our lives. Our small group just finished a study in the book of Romans, and twice the guy leading the study mentions a quote by Martin Luther. And he says this, that all followers of Jesus should not only know Romans by heart, but should deal with it daily as with daily bread for the soul. And why is he saying that we should deal with it daily? Because we need to pick up our cross daily. We need to carry our burdens to the cross. We need to understand the gospel. We need to be reminded of it daily, of the sins that we have, of the death of Jesus Christ for those sins and the great hope that comes in the resurrection. But see, it's not just in the resurrection where where Paul finds his peace and his hope. Read again verse 11 from Acts 23. It says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. You ever feel like life is just going 100 miles an hour? Like life is just going crazy. And maybe you don't always understand where life is headed, what God is taking you on, where he is leading you. I can imagine that that Paul maybe feels this way. And I know as we look back at the previous chapters, he knew what he was going to face. He knew that he was facing prison possibly and being arrested. But I don't know if that makes it any easier to go through that. We ourselves, we're, we're promised trials and tribulations. And would you say it's easy to go through those because that's what's promised. We know we're going to go through those, but I think the Lord knew that he needed those two words, take courage, as he was going through these things. I read those verses and I think about this like God almost saying in the Seth version of, don't worry, I got this. I have a plan and I'm working it out. Our small group, ironically, just started a study on hearing the voice of God. Maybe not the audible voice of God that we all want to hear in this case, but being tuned to what he has for us in our lives and understanding how he's leading, how he's guiding us in our lives. And I wish we all had this kind of vision, right? It's kind of what we shared in our first lesson. We wish we had the audible voice of a vision of Jesus Christ coming to us and telling us all that we need to know. But we find out here that Paul is finding peace in that God is working out his plan as he goes through all these difficulties. Now, ironically, this is not the first time that Paul has gotten a vision of Christ as a vision of encouragement. And actually, and he's in the, uh, the city of uh, Corinth in Acts chapter 18, 
he again, as he goes into the city, faces opposition. He faces those opposing him in the faith and discrediting his message. And then we're told this in Acts chapter 18, verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And then it says that he stayed six months proclaiming the gospel in the city of Corinth. He says, do not be afraid. Keep speaking the truth. I have a plan. I have people in this city who need to hear the word. See, Paul sees the, the fighting among the Jewish leaders. He sees him in arrest and he finds comfort and peace in these words of Christ. I wish I knew God's plan for my life for the next so-and-so years. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know he has a plan, and I rest in that plan. He tells Paul, look, you will testify to me in Rome, just as you have testified for me in Jerusalem. But if you kind of look at the timeline, it's almost going to be two years through the book of Acts until Paul finds his way to Rome. Two years of waiting for that time which he desires to get to Rome. He finds himself, when he gets to Rome, in two years of house arrest, where he writes the letters of Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, all these letters where in Philippians, remember, he says, this, this prison is for the glory of the gospel. Here he is proclaiming these things. So I think Paul also finds comfort and courage in the patience of God's plan. How many of us need to learn patience in the plan of God? Jesus confirms, look, you're going to go to Rome. Just doesn't say when. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait on the Lord. My soul does wait, and in his word I do hope. You know, there's a lot of people in Scripture who had to wait for the plan of God. You think about Abraham having to wait 25 years for his promised son. Joseph spending two years in prison. Think about Israel wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Can you, can I, can we wait on the Lord? You know, I graduated from Perry Hall in 1999. And if you know my story, I didn't go to Emmaus Bible College till 2001. That was two years of trying to figure out what God had for me in my own life. God, what do you want me to do? I had about, I think, six majors in a year and a half at Essex Community College. It was crazy. I thought I wanted to be a math teacher. That's a lot of schooling. Then I wanted, I figured, gym teacher. That's easy, right? Be a gym teacher. There's still like extra schooling you have to take to be a gym teacher. Then I thought I would want to be like in the, the criminal justice. And that just didn't work out either. But what God was preparing me for as I was thinking through all these things, one day my friend came to me and talked to me about Emmaus Bible College. And I knew I loved working with youth. I was working already with the teens at my church. And he suggested to me this idea of youth ministry degree. And I knew I liked teaching and all these different things. And I could see how God had been preparing me. Had he presented Emmaus in 1999, I would have said, no way, that's ridiculous. 
But in the two years of preparation and of waiting, he knew the timing was right for me to go to Emmaus. And Christy says, yay! Because clearly we had to meet. So all these things were happening, all this going on behind the scenes. And sometimes we wait in patience for his plan. And we find word courage in those, as he says, take courage. So it's been quite a journey here through Acts 23. We see how Paul finds hope and peace in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how we lean on that resurrection in our own lives when we face the struggles of this world. When we face the death of this world, we understand that there is a greater plan in God. And then we find peace in knowing that God has that plan for our lives. And then we also have patience as he's working out that plan. We don't know how long it's going to take for God to work in us, but we know that he is working and he is taking us on a journey. But along that journey, we testify about him. And that's what he says. He says, as you testified me in Jerusalem, so you will testify about me in Rome. So one thing we don't wait on is to testify, to share the gospel. No matter where you are in God's plan, you share the hope of that resurrection and the hope that he has in the plan for us. You know, and as I was reflecting on Acts 23 and reading the previous chapters, you know, I was really beginning to see just the, the, the similarities that it has to Jesus Christ. Remember, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the, the cheers And then later on, he is arrested by the Jewish leaders and put on trial and found to be without cause, with no guilt. Paul comes into Jerusalem and is arrested and found to have no guilt, no reason for arrest. He is struck. Jesus is struck. Jesus will die on the cross, and Paul eventually will face a death in the same not in the same way, but will die for his faith. He, he will gladly proclaim the death of Jesus Christ through the streets of Jerusalem, through the streets of Rome, and even in prison, he will proclaim the death of Jesus Christ. Worship team, you can make your way back up as we begin to close for today. But, but I really want to think about where do you find yourself in this journey? Do you believe in, in this hope and this resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you understand the things that he has done for you on the cross? Then be encouraged. Find hope in that. And if you haven't proclaimed and understood and accepted the message of Jesus Christ and all that he did for you, well, then today is your day of salvation. Today is the opportunity to say, Christ, I, I understand what you did for me. I understand the pain that you went through on the cross for my sins. I understand that you were in the grave and that the grave is now empty and that you are risen from the dead. Paul writes these words in Philippians 3. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible that I might attain the resurrection from the dead. All these things considered, remember, the tomb is empty. 
He is risen. You passed that test for the second week in a row. Good job. And what a great hope that it is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the life of Paul and the the witness that he was for you, Lord. That he testified about you in the streets of Jerusalem. That he goes on to testify you in the streets of Rome, Lord. Lord, may we find peace. Peace in the resurrection. May we find peace in your plan for us. And may we be patient as we wait as you unfold that plan in our lives. Lord, we we praise you and we worship you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.